Heavenly Father, as we come into the service this morning, thank you for such beautiful music that we've experienced already. Thank you for sweet fellowship, Lord, that we have come together as your people to receive the rest and refreshing that you want to give us this day. Father, we thank you for your Sabbath, this time that we can set apart and put the cares of the world aside and be rejuvenated and prepared for the work you have us for the next six days. Lord, I pray that you would fill our minds with your spirit, that we would be led of you, taught of you. Lord, it's so easy to bring these intellectual ideas in often and difficult to carry them out. Help us not just to be hearers but doers. Lord, we know we are ineffective doers, so empower us, strengthen us through the power of your Spirit to do your will and not our own. Give us clear discernment. Father, help us to implement correctly your health message that we can have clarity of mind, that we can make wise choices, and that we can act in harmony with your will. Lord, I just ask now that you would be with the presenters today, be with this panel discussion that's about to happen. Father, I pray that your spirit would infuse their minds and it not be their own words, it not be their own ideas, not that it would be men speaking and women speaking, but that it would be you speaking through them. I ask for a special blessing upon Daniel at this time as he moderates this discussion, that you would give him wisdom and discernment, that he would bring questions that would be pertinent to your call at this time, that, that he would be led and guided of you. We thank you, Father, that you've promised that you were here before we came, and all we have to do is receive you. And so we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're so gracious towards us. Be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get to the panel discussion, Ricky Seiler will be having um, a spotlight on three, three people, maybe four. So we'll get a spotlight on some of the ministries that are happening in agriculture. And at this time, I'll let Ricky share those with you. Thanks, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Good to see you again. Everybody rest well, I hope. Good. So I've been looking for Bob Jorgensen, but is Bob here right now? Bob, are you here? Are you over here, Bob? Oh, Bob, yes, very good. Did you just sneak in, Bob? Okay, good, all right. Because I was thinking I was losing my sight here or something. But anyway, good. Bob is our first interview, and uh, we are glad that he is here. I was, I'll tell you, I was tremendously inspired by your presentation last night. Anybody else? Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, that, that was, that's, there's some challenging stuff there. I'm sure you've come to recognize that. But do you want to pick up that mic right over there on the table? There you go. Good. So obviously you've done a lot of research, a lot of research here. Um, the story about, you know, uh, taking over the tennis court and ball field, that was, that's pretty daring. Uh, maybe it's the right word, I don't know. But I just thought, I could only imagine being there, <laughs> you know, being a student on campus. And anyway, yeah, the, the college president... Nonetheless, 
Yeah? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Anyway, but hey, uh, I have three letters here. MMP. Yes. Do those mean anything to you? Yes, that stands for Medical Missionary Press. That's the name of a nonprofit organization that I'm the director of. Started back around 1983, and we've been doing research and promotion of medical missionary work, the Three Angels' Messages, revival of all the aspects of Christian experience for God's people. Now, how did you get started? You said 1983, is that yes. what I picked up? Yes. How, well, did that, how did that get started back then? Well, that's, that's a long story, more than I have time for here, but just to put it in a nutshell, it was out of a burden that grew in my heart and the heart of other people that I was associated with at church, where I went, a small church in the country that I had been involved in helping to uh, start. And as we were studying in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy, we saw many things that were giving instructions that seemed not to be taking place mm. in our church. And as we studied the history of Adventism also, we saw that many things that had been instituted in the past had kind of dropped off. And so I started writing to some of our church leaders, people in the local conference and people in the union and even in the general conference asking questions about these things. And I got back a few responses. Many of the people wrote back that did respond. Uh, many of them just kind of patted me on the back and said, thank you for your concerns and keep us in your prayers and the Lord will direct the work. But uh, it grew out of a concern to try to start sharing with fellow church members and with leaders that the Lord is calling us in a special direction in the work of education, the work of medical missionary activity, in evangelism, in our methods of worship in our churches. And so we started a little publishing operation and sharing these things. So how would, has, has anybody here not heard of MMP before? If you have, I haven't. Okay, so there's a few people here who haven't heard. How would they get uh, access to this information, and what's the next step? Uh, write your name and address and email and a phone number on a piece of paper and give it to me, and we'll put you on our mailing list. Is it a printed publication? Is it online? Is it both, or how does that work? We, we have mostly printed publications and audio and visual materials, DVDs, CDs of uh, meetings, similar to this that I've been involved with in many different areas. And we also have a website. It's called www.mmpress.info. www.mmpress.info. That's right. But okay. I, I will say we have a hard time keeping it up because we have a slow dial-up connection provided by a nonprofit organization <laughs> out in our remote area of the country. It's one of the advantages of country living. <laughs> and well, our connection okay. speed is usually from 19 to 26K. So downloading a lot of graphics and video stuff on our website is basically not a possibility under our current conditions. I see. That's something to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Appreciate you sharing, and we look forward. You're going to be speaking to us once again, I think. Are you not? Okay. Very good. Thank you, Bob. Okay, Scott Griswold. And uh, my understanding is Stephen Eric is going to be with Scott, and they are making their way up. Some of you maybe have 
uh, seen some of Scott's uh, ministry in the Far East. Anybody knew that Scott was over in Thailand for a while? Anybody here? Yeah, a few folks. And it sounds like you're still, even though you're back here in the States, you're still working with a lot of these folks. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I work with ASAP Ministries, which is primarily focused on the Southeast Asia countries, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Thailand, and Vietnam. Now, does ASAP, that's an acronym for? It's been ASAP Ministries that stood for Adventist Southeast Asia Projects. And now it's expanded to some other things because we have also a focus on restricted access countries mm. where people are persecuted and also refugees that have moved to America that are in need of our love and our care here, too. All right. So tell, yeah, share a little bit about that. How does that work? The... Every year, 70,000 people are accepted into the United States from countries like Somalia, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bhutan, Myanmar, and they come for a place of safety. They come not because they wanted to or chose to leave their country, but they had to. And as they get here, they desperately need friends and people who can help them settle in and be cared for. So you're thinking that what? I just have been so touched and amazed as I've seen this group of people with their heart for loving their own families, for raising people, young people up, for caring, and for reaching out to other people, the service focus. And I believe that God can use this group in a mighty way to reach out to these refugees who are the most open they will ever be in their life when those first three months come. But they're looking for friendship. They're looking for how to adapt. Many of them are actually Seventh-day Adventists, like the Karen from, from Burma. And they are here, and they've gone from an agrarian background to the refugee camps to a little apartment complex in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I just stayed with a couple that had just arrived a month ago. They mm. could hardly speak English, and they're stuck in this place. It would be such a beautiful benefit for them to, like Go and Terry Salee did in Wisconsin, to say, here is our land come, you, you different ones from the community, and, and grow a garden right here. And now they have 10 to 20 different families, many of them non-Christian, who are, who are planting on their soil. Wow. So how, I mean, how would that all work, you see? I mean, do, do they, con if somebody here was interested in saying, oh, I like that idea, I feel impressed to do that by the Lord, do they contact you, or how do they do this? In just a few minutes, we'd like to pass around a paper where you could put down your name, and a group can begin to talk to one another online, by phone, pray together, because God has said in Evangelism, page 570, that this is part of his end-time strategy to send the people of the world to America so they could be reached and then go back and share with, with others. So there are, there are the possibilities. Uh, there are a lot of possibilities of how it can happen, um, either bringing someone to intern with you in one of your training places so that you bring that cross-cultural element and your own students begin to realize what they can do for missions, but also train up perhaps a Korean refugee who then can go back to where there's a lot of them, or to bring a couple families to work with you at your farm or in a place nearby. So that's here. That's, those are folks mm -hmm. who are already here in the U.S., right? Right. Okay, but you, you're also engaged in doing something there. The majority of our work is in Southeast Asia, Okay. in those countries there. And Steve and Eric, I want him to be able to share about what is possible. He has just agreed within the last month to go and live in Cambodia full-time for the next few years and leaving 
friends and family and plans in Berrien Springs, Michigan to go to Cambodia. And he wants to network with you with um, some possibilities there. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really excited because just in the last few months, like you said, I was invited to go. And um, the situation over there, um, there are a lot of factors, and I still don't know everything that's going on. But we have, we have schools already that we support that go up to seventh grade. And we have pastors already that we're supporting. But a lot of these students, after they finish um, school or even during school, um, need some sort of skill, something that they can, that they can do, that they can work to produce um, some kind of income for themselves, for their families, because their parents see them as a, a resource a lot of times. And when they, when they get through with our schools, they, if, if they're not able to, to bring in any money, then, then who knows what will happen to them. They, they might be put in a factory, have trouble keeping Sabbath, um, and, and they'll just disappear from our network. So how, how would someone here be a, a benefit to you over there? Yeah. How does that work? What, what we're really interested in doing, and we're still trying to figure out all the details, but we would love to talk with you and see if there were some farmers, some agricultural professionals here that would be willing to travel to Cambodia or to Laos or s some country over there and spend maybe a few weeks, maybe longer, maybe a few months doing training sessions, teaching the pastors, teaching the students, teaching the parents how to earn a living off agriculture, how to support themselves. Something like 80% of the population grows rice in Cambodia. But a lot of them can barely even support themselves with what they grow. Mm -hmm. And some of the techniques we've seen here would make such a difference if they could just be implemented over there. And then this, if, if someone's interested in that, what, what, I mean, on that's the kind same sign-up sheet that's going around, there's three clipboards, one on each of the three columns here. There's a place where you can sign up to receive information about mission trip opportunities where you could use your expertise to make a difference. We have a heart, all of us here, for service, for seeing Jesus come back. But sometimes it's so easy to get busy with our own family, with our own church, looking and reaching out to those who look like us and forgetting the stranger in our midst, the refugee, and also those who don't have enough to eat, whose children are growing up stunted, unable to learn wow. because they don't have enough food. We can make a difference for that. We can partner in that for Praise sure. The Lord. Okay. Anything else? One, you want to one last okay. real right. brief thing you'll see on there: a mission podcast. Weekly, I send out an eight-minute story that you can use in Sabbath schools or for your own family, trying to look at it, how the needs of the world are God's opportunity, and how especially our young people, if they see these great possibilities, will want to throw their hearts into this highly committed life we're calling them to, that sometimes they say, what's the purpose? When they know that they can save lives, they'll want to be a part of that. Praise so there's the more information in the back on the table there or at the booth that has the big picture, Reach the World Next Door, that you can find out more how to get involved. One of the major ways is to involve your children in a sacrifice box in the home with a specific project where they know that they can make a difference for a child to survive and thrive and know Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Okay, David Obermiller. David's on his way up. David uh, kind of moderated the youth panel yesterday. His, his, his voice is sounding a lot like mine, I think, but uh, maybe a little better, I hope. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Glad I you're sound, here. sound worse than I feel or feel worse than I sound, I don't know. Yeah, but you're, you're actually, uh, you're speaking for 11 o'clock, aren't you? 
I think so. All right, very good. So we need to keep David in our prayer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, David, food, food over faith. Yes. This is the title of a book. Yeah, it's a title is that of right? a book. Uh, title of a book in the works. Book in the works. Yeah. You guys see a common thread between, between some of these people in Africa. <laughs> but that's good. That is very good. Tell us a little bit about it. And how did you come up with this idea of food over faith? Well, about six years ago, I was working for Souls West. And it's an evangelism school run by the Pacific Union. And I was studying uh, the concepts of education in the spirit of prophecy. You can't read the spirit of prophecy on education. Sorry. There you go. Okay. I thought it was holding it close, but not close enough. Um, you can't study the spirit of prophecy on education without reading about agriculture. Mm. We've all realized that it's pretty tightly bound together. So um, I started about that time, about six years ago, putting together uh, an extensive compilation of agricultural quotes in the spirit of prophecy. And uh, several people had told me, you know, you should, you should print this, you know, get this published. And I kept blowing it off. I said, you know, nobody's going to read a book on farming, and nobody's going to read a book by me on farming number two. <laughs> so I kept blowing it off. Lord, you're crazy. You know, yeah. So I, I was actually driving in my car, and the Lord impressed me again last April, a year and a half ago. You need to do this. So I said, fine, I'll pick up the phone, I'll call a couple presses, they'll tell me no, it'll be over. <laughs> so I called one press, and uh, it was the first press I called, and told them what I was doing, I was working on a compilation on agriculture, and uh, the guy says, well, tell me more. And I said, okay, well, and blah, 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 and he says, well, would you be willing to write a book? I mean, we were really interested in the compilation, but I think that a, a book would have a wider market appeal to the church at large than, than a compilation on farming. I said, well, um, that's not the impression that was on my heart, but maybe God's making a new impression. I didn't think the first one was valid either, so <laughs> um, at least I know you guys relate. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> And so I thought, okay, well, um, I've never wrote anything before, so I was talking to Byron Smith, I don't know if he's here, and he put me in contact with somebody who's wrote extensively as, a, as an author, uh, kind of behind the scenes for Neil Medley and these other people. Yeah. And I called her and said, hey, well, this is what I'm working on, do you have any interest in it? She said, whoa, yeah, absolutely, I'd be interested. So I said, okay, well, Lord, I guess you want us to do this. And that's where the concept was born at. Wow. So... so you're getting close to completion, or where, where do we think we well, see Well, John this? was asking me that, and I said, well, it's lost in the excessive work of the farm somewhere right now. Yeah. Um, but we're about seven-tenths of the way done with it. And uh, the book's title is Food Over Faith. And what we wanted to do is, is uh, I think many of us have studied agriculture from the perspective of the spirit of prophecy, but when we go out to the public, we really wanted to give a biblical presentation uh, to show that for a number of reasons that, that what we believe in is biblical, uh, not just something that's in the writings of Ellen White. And I believe, as many of you do, that those two things are synonymous. Um, so we set it in the context of eschatology and wanted to demonstrate the value of agriculture in the last days, yeah. uh, particularly one concept that um, Revelation's period of not being able to buy or sell is long enough to justify growing your own food. 
I think many of us have sort of overlooked or ignored that detail of the prophecy. And so we wanted to set agriculture in an end-time context, and the, the whole book is geared towards that type of thing from a biblical perspective. Wonderful, wonderful. So how will we know when it's done, and how would somebody be able to access this? Any thoughts on that? Well, I'm wondering who's going to tell me when it's going to be done. <laughs> Maybe my wife will tell me to take some time off or something. I don't know. But um, we're hoping to get it done. Uh, the, the woman I'm working with is about as busy as I am. And it's been slow go of late, um, but hopefully this winter it'll slow down a little bit and we can get it finished up. Uh, the press keeps politely bugging me, but hopefully they don't give up on me out there. So, and uh, it'll be distributed through the normal channels. I think we'll, you know, get it out through the ABCs and maybe the association can post it on their website or something. But Great. through the normal channels as well. Very good. So, all right. Thanks for saying. Thank you. you. We look forward to hearing your message at the 11 o'clock hour. So, you know, I think of Sabbath as always being kind of extra special. Has anybody else had that thought before? So instead of three spotlights this morning, we have a fourth, a bonus spotlight. Isn't that nice? So Daniel LaFlair. Daniel, I know I saw you here. There you are. Okay. Come on up. Daniel just uh, joined us this morning. Is that right? Yeah. We are glad you're here. I know, you're, I know your back's kind of, kind of, you're going to be okay? Yeah. All right. Sorry. You want to sit down? I was... I was Lean, um, stooping too long over there. I'm okay. We're glad you're here. Daniel is, um, has been a kind of behind-the-scenes guy and a lot of the reasons why we are all here today. And uh, I don't know if any of you have seen a publication that came out just a, a few months ago called uh, Roots. Did anybody see this? Yes. Roots. Okay. Well, Sorry, Daniel. I'm curious. Raise your yeah, hands. Yeah, raise your hands again. Roots. Raise them high. Good. How many of you have never heard of it? Raise your hands. Okay, we're going to change that. <laughs> All right, keep that mic up close there, Daniel. Tell us a little bit about where Roots came from and how, we, how, how it came to be. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just an instrument, and really, we have all the board. You guys have been meeting the board here, and um, God has used me to just... I had this vision two years ago... I'd been gardening and breaking my back, trying to figure out how in the world to do this. And Edwin Dysinger, I have to share this, came to visit our, our church and said there was an agricultural conference. Are you going to it? And I said, what? Where? Who? I didn't know anything. So he told me where, Uchi Pines, and he said, Bob Jorgensen. Well, I'd only heard the name Uchi Pines, and I had no idea who Bob Jorgensen was. So I went to the conference, and it changed my life. It literally did. And so from that conference, I went home, and my brain just started stirring, and all of these ideas and dreams and visions started just bouncing around in there. And one of them was to do um, an association. I asked. I started asking Bob. I asked um, the limited people I knew. Dysinger's never heard of them, you know, different people. Larry Lesher, no clue who Larry Lesher was. But the neat thing I found out, there were other people out there like me and um, so what I wanted to do was just basically connect these people, the people who knew how, with the people like me who didn't know how, so that they didn't have to spend a couple years breaking their back with nothing. And um, one of the concepts was an association, and then the second aspect of that was to do a periodical arm of the association. And so the association was going, 
And um, you know, again, with the, with the board, we're doing all of this, and then we can, you know, we wanted to do a periodical. So I said okay, and we did Roots Magazine, and that's kind of how it came to be. So, what do you see moving forward with Roots, and and primarily, what is the Roots Magazine? What I mean, it's about primarily what focused on. Roots growing, is really an extension of the association. You know, the board. Um, let you guys know what who we are. I guess it's like asking a four-year-old what they want to do when they go to college. How many four-year-olds can answer that? And you know, really, that's where. As I think, as an association, we're a little bit there. We we have dreams, we have ambi- ambitions, and as we grow, you know, we'll develop those. And that's kind of the same thing with roots. Um, there are ideas, and hopefully the next issue will be out in a couple weeks. But um, it really is kind of a four-year-old and asking it what it wants to be when it grow up, grows up. And I think we as a board, you know, we're deciding on that as well. And to say that we have the answer, I don't think we do yet. But it, it doesn't mean, those of you who have seen it, what, what did you think of it? Do you think? Very nice. Um, <clears throat> We know what we some things we want to do, and we'll keep building on that. So, hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, currently, the the thought with the magazine is that it's designed mostly for. Is it there, are there practical applications that are that are shared in the magazine? Is it kind of more of a spiritual overview in regards to understanding the role of agriculture in our spiritual and closer? Is it all those things or? What, what is the goal of the magazine? Is this to share the broad kind of scope? I, I, that's the impression I kind of got out of, after the first issue. I'm just curious to know if you, um, it, should we expect something similar in the second issue that's coming up? I, I think the first, introdu- the first issue was really an introduction. And as an introduction, you kind of have to do the origins. And those of you, you know, there's the origins. But I think there, it'll be more practical and a combination, as you, as you say. But as I mentioned, it's still gro- we're, we're, we're still you know, an infant. And so, it'll develop. What it'll become, it'll, I think it'll reveal itself in time. So there's a lot of people here who didn't have access to the first issue, apparently. Can they still read it somewhere? The first issue is on our website, AdventistEgg.org, Adventist Egg. Hopefully it's in the program I didn't get a chance to look at that. I yes, didn't. on the back of it. And if you go there, just at the header, it says magazine. Click on it, and the first issue is there. And hopefully, you know, all the issues as we go forward um, will be there. Things may change, but right now, that's the vehicle of where you can get a copy of it. Um, and as I mentioned, hopefully, the second issue will be out in a couple weeks. So it's a free publication. All they have to do is get to the website. Correct. Click on the link. And there it is. For, for the first, yeah. For right now. For right now. Okay, fair enough. And so they can share it with friends, family. Please do, yes. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Larry? So at this time, we're going to have Christian Martin and Sean Neblett bring a special music. And then after that, we'll have Daniel who will be coming up for the panel discussion. So I hope that you're blessed. I want to invite all the ladies up who are helping this morning with the panel. If you would, just please introduce yourself. Give us your name, where you're from, and uh, who you are. Just. My name's Judy Johnson. I'm from Gridley, California, and farm with my husband. 
Jennifer Dysinger. I'm from Williamsport, Tennessee, Bountiful Blessings Farm, Edwin Dysinger's wife. My name is Deidre Dealey, and we just moved to Castle Valley Farms at Daystar Academy in Utah. My husband, Matthew, farms there. My name is Michelle Escher, and Larry and I are students at Eastward Gardens in southern Indiana. My name is Pam Dysinger. I farm with my husband, John, and family, again, at Bountiful Blessings Farm. And I'm Janice Smith with my husband, Byron Smith, at Sunny Zona Family Farms in Arizona. What we'll do this morning is we'll do kind of a combination of things. We'll ask the panel, um, how many of you had your, have your program? Um, what are we discussing? I'm sorry, didn't I? Evangelism in agriculture. Can you do evangelism in agriculture? Amen. You can? Huh, interesting topic, isn't it? So what we will do, um, I'll ask these ladies to share a story. I'm going to kind of put them on the spot and give an example, if you don't mind, of using um, being a witness in agriculture. Um, I'll give them a second to think about that, and I'm going to ask each of them to share you know, an example. But then what I want to do is I want to take a few questions. I'll ask you to raise your hands if you have specific questions regarding this topic, and we'll see if we can answer those questions. And, um, and then we'll kind of discuss a little bit how to be, you know, how can you use evangelism in agriculture? As a farmer, how can you be an evangelist for God? And I'll just go ahead and give them um, another second. I want to share something really quick. Yeah. I was reflecting on this topic last night. I was watching, I wasn't here, but I was watching the streaming. And I started to think about this. And, you know, if you take your Bible and you start with the book of Jeremiah, and you go from the book of Jeremiah all the way to Galatians, I, there's more. But specifically, from Jeremiah to Galatians, there are so many biblical metaphors of reaping and the reoccurring fixture in Christian teaching. And I started thinking about this, and just this uh, past week we were having family worship, and I was telling my children, um, you know, there's the Bible verse talking about, and I'll paraphrase it, any man who fixes his hand to the plow and turns back, what does it say? Now, anybody who has never plowed, I, think, I, don't, I, it, I, I don't know that they could fully grasp plowing and what it takes to plow a straight field, especially a large field. And, you know, so I had to get down in the dirt and kind of explain that to my children and really what it means. You know, you want to go straight and, and, and you as farmers know, right? But someone who has never plowed, do you, how are they going to grasp that? How are they going to really fully and deeply? God is amazing and God can help anybody understand that. So I never say that they can't. But it's amazing that when you go through an experience, how much more meaning something takes on when you hear it, especially when you've gone through that experience. So when you hear a verse like that and you think, wow, they're not worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven, it makes sense in your mind as a farmer because you start picturing and understanding the deeper meaning behind that. So ladies, which whoever wants to start first will go, and if you could share one example with us specifically is uh, doing evangelism in agriculture. I guess since I have the microphone, I'll start. 
I think of the, I'm sure every uh, person up here would agree with me that the farmer's market is a huge, huge avenue for evangelism. I think of the vision that Ellen White had, um, I'm sure many of you have read it, where the workers get off the wagon and they're searching for berries and they're looking afar off and they miss all the ripe fruit that's right in front of them. And there's even berries on the ground that are overripe. I feel the, the market is like these ripe berries that are just coming to us, you know, and we have this captive audience. Uh, you build trust so quickly because you are growing their food. Most of these people care very much about their health, their bodies. Many of them are vegans. They share and open up with that pretty quickly. And it's really amazing as someone that's been in the the health message for a while, we try all these outreach and they're just right there. You know, it's not really that much of an effort except for to bring them good food. They want to know about health, they want to know their farmers, and they want to support local agriculture. So the story I have is just awesome. <laughs> I was thinking about which one to tell because there's so many awesome stories, right? Well, this particular lady really actually was evangelizing to me as, as I was evangelizing to her, so I will share that story. Um, I was asked to do some mental health talks at our local church. I was extremely nervous about this. I speak on nutrition mostly, and when the Lord put that in front of me, I thought, oh, I'm so inadequate because I have my own mental health problems, you know? <laughs> but he helped me to see I needed it. That's why he was having me do it. Well, this particular farmer's market customer, she would come week after week. She was battling cancer. She would wear a wig. That's how I knew she was battling cancer. She opened up to me very quickly that she liked our food because it had holes in it. She knew it was not sprayed with chemicals if there was some bug bites in there. So that was the first time we'd ever heard that one. We were pretty pleased with that. And um, she, she was always very happy. She brought her 11-year-old son with her who had severe autism. She shared with me later that he was born normal and that it was a, a reaction he had negatively to a vaccination that changed his behavior and, and slowly progressed to get worse. And I'm thinking of, oh my goodness, this is just so hard to see what this woman's going through, but yet she's so happy. Every farmer's market, just happy. So I was thinking she would actually be a blessing if she would come give her testimony at the church during my mental health talks. This is what the Lord placed on my heart. Plus, honestly, I'm trying to build a relationship with her because I want to share Jesus with her also. So it was kind of a mutual thing happening there. And so she accepted my invitation to come speak at um, my mental health talks, and she gave her testimony and I want to just share with you, um, it was a huge blessing. Basically, the concept that we know we are supposed to be following as well, replacing the negativity, the lies of the devil that we have that come in with positive scripture promises. And she wrote to me an email afterwards. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your talk and your community tonight. You did an excellent job, and your people are lovely at SDA awesome evangelism going on there. <laughs> well, my husband and I uh, became interested in our health message uh, 
um, probably 2008, I think. And um, very quickly, when we came to understand the health message, we were led to the root of health, which is the food that we put into our bodies. Um, and which also led us into agriculture, which is somewhere that we never thought we would find ourselves. And um, when eventually we started our own small farm in Washington State, and we wanted it to be our mission field, and so we named it Healing Foods Farm because um, you know we think that that's the basis of where our medicine comes from. And um, undoubtedly, our name would always, you know, at farmers markets or when we met people, the name of our farm would open an avenue for why is it called that? And then we could share about how great our God is and, um, you know, this wonderful health message that we have. And um, so, like Michelle said, there's so many different stories that we could share, but just one in particular um, that I'll share with you this morning is my husband, um, was working on several projects and for whatever reason he was going into Lowe's a lot. And he would frequent this one cashier's register. And this lady, um, you know, they would chit chat and, um, you know, what are you doing? What projects are you working on? She came to find out that we were on this farm. Oh, and we, um, as part of our ministry, we would offer discounts to anyone that had like a long-term illness like diabetes or heart disease or those type of things. They got like a 15% discount. Um, and so he was explaining this to her and she got very excited and she um, come to find out, you know, she had her own health issues, but her husband um, was actually morbidly obese and a couple years prior, um, the doctors had told him that he had less than five years to live. And um, so anyway, we ended up striking up a friendship with this couple, and they were Jehovah's Witness. And so, you know, of course, they're very close to people trying to um, evangelize to them because they have a solid belief system. But through the health message, we were able to invite them over to our house, um, share, you know, vegan vegetarian meals with them. Um, we showed them, what movie was it that we showed them? I think it was Raw Revolution. I think, I think that's the one. But by the end of the movie, he was in tears because, and he said, this is the first time anyone has ever told me there's any other way. And it was the first time that he had ever seen hope in the way he was living and his disease systems that were going on in his body. And so, you know, just praise the Lord. And I have to say, my husband said I have to mention this, everyone should grow comfrey on their farm. <laughs> Because it is an awesome tool, and we have witnessed to so many people through comfrey and charcoal, those two simple things. So, um, The story I'm going to tell you is really fresh. It's an exciting story. And um, Edwin, myself, and Paul have been praying about how can we make our farm, because um, there's just, we're two full-time people, and Paul's part-time. And the farm was um, more, requiring more labor than what we could do, so we decided, well, let's have more pickups on the farm and less deliveries, because deliveries take a long time for us from the farm. And we're trying to uh, maximize on growing and not just being out all the time. But I thought, how will that affect my relationships with people? Because I enjoy meeting the people. And so we had our Columbia delivery come to the farm, which is a fairly close delivery to us. And I wasn't really anticipating that they would all get together in carpool, but we have now 10 boxes going to Columbia from the farm. 
So one person comes out for that, and actually it got so big that they thought they might have to make two. So as, this, as our farm um, spaces were filling up and we had closed registration, I got a text from Pam saying there were a few names on the phone, phone from the farm phone. We mostly carry our cell phones. Um, but we have a landline for the farm, and we had not, those people we had not gotten back to. And so we thought, oh, wow, what if they were trying to get on registration? We'd had a few problems with registration, and we better get back to them in case they really needed to get on and we, they needed our help. So one of the people my husband contacted ended up saying she was very ill and that she was concerned that she would not be able to do her part on a carpool and she couldn't come to the farm and she had cancer. She was somebody had, who had been on the CSA for a while and um, I felt impressed. The, the good thing about our cell phones is we can contact people while we're working and we have to do that in order to, to make it. So. Uh, make it work with our time. So I was out transplanting with Edwin, and he told me, have you called this lady? And I said, oh, let me do it right now. And so I did. I had to stop, because sometimes I don't have earbuds with me, and, and just communicated with her. And she was totally amazed, because I had actually contacted the carpool lady and said, you know, this is the situation. The lady that was, um, we have one of, um, her friends, actually, who was in the Columbia CSA before, I said, is not able to come because of her cancer. Could it be possible that she's not a part of the carpool and you'll just do it? And she said, all of you will do it for her sake. And she said, I wouldn't even be a part of a, a group that wouldn't take care of this woman. She said, she is my chiropractor and I did not know what was wrong and I'm so thankful to know. And so because of this situation, people I started getting close to the woman that was coordinating the carpooling, who ended up having a sister who's very ill. And I have a prayer ministry, so not only did I stop and pray with the lady that needed to get on desperately, she was so touched, incredibly touched. She told me, I'm, I'm down for the count when she answered the phone. And I said, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, you're down, but not for the count. And she said, oh, that's right. And so then we just... Um, prayed together, and the Lord, my daughter called at that moment after that phone call and said, I'm leaving my, my son with you, our grandson, and he's coming out to help, which he does normally. So I hadn't really connected that she was going to go to town. But as I was working, I felt impressed. Maybe he's coming out today at this time because she's leaving somewhere. And I called her quickly and asked, where are you going? And she said, Columbia. And you know how you have an extra CSA box sometimes left over people don't pick up? Oh, I said, sweetheart, could you take this to this lady that I just talked to? And we couldn't go to Columbia. And so anyway, she said, yes, can, I need it right now. I said, I told her, I told her where it was. She headed out the road in 10 minutes, she was off. But this lady was so blessed that she put it on Facebook and we had opened up registration for her, and somebody else slipped in at the same time. <laughs> so my husband said, we better close registration because somebody else slipped in when we opened it up for um, this special friend in Columbia. And so um, I said, well, that's God's doing. So we'll just see what happens. So contacted that lady now because she's late starting. OK, already buy two boxes. So. 
uh, I said to her, you know, I have an extra box. I did. I had an extra box. So I said, um, you want to come out to the farm? And she was totally flabbergasted. She was like, uh, wow, really? And so she, she said, uh, yeah, I do. And so she came out, and we were busy making applesauce, and I stopped and I met her. And I said, did you know that it's God's providence that you're in our CSA? And she said, really? And tears just came to her eyes. She was just ready to weep. And I, I said, yes, we opened up registration for your friend, for this woman. And she said, that lady is my chiropractor. And it was her Facebook message that made me get on <laughs> and <laughs> sign up. But what's incredible is that this woman, we drew so close to each other that as, as she was leaving with the box, she started um, sharing that she didn't know how to reach out to her grandchildren. She was worried about her daughter and her grandchildren. And, and I asked her if I could pray for her or what she wanted prayer for. And the first thing she said was for the woman that had cancer. And the second, she said for her family and then an uncle who had, who had cancer. So I had shared with her about cancer, natu natural treatments for cancer. She was so interested. But by praying together, we bonded right there, right on the farm. And I tried to get her in touch with the CSA group, you know, how she could not have to come out next time. And lo and behold, we were in contact a little bit during the week, but the next week, for some reason, she didn't understand that her box was already gone to Columbia, and she came to the farm. I said, oh my, I, I said, your box is in Columbia. I am so sorry about that. And, and I was in the midst of a lot of things I was doing, and so she hung on, and I said, let me get you in touch with the people, the carpool, figure out where to pick it up. She ended up staying long enough that there was even a downpour of rain. It stopped. She met... Jackie, who, she asked me where I went to church. And I was able to share with her, and she met Jackie, who goes to the Columbia Church. But what happened was, is when I took her out to the car, she shared about how she wanted to change her profession and wanted to get out of it because it was so stressful, and I could see she was in so much pain. And so talked about health. Um, she was very interested in being a health coach. And so I shared about where she could go to get that information. She could not stop receiving this information. And that night, she called me. I said, you'd be really interested in the book, Ministry of Healing. And she said, where do I get it? And then she said, I found the author's Ellen White, right? I'm just, I'm not even knowing. I, yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> I said, she is the author. And she says, well, I'm, I, I can get it. I'm going to download it online. And then she says, I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> I said, fantastic. I said, you might love the last four chapters. But anyway, God is amazing, and we're still in touch. And it's all God. The details of life are amazing. He does surprises. Um, the little story I want to share is also pretty recent, but I find um, for the evangelism that I like to do is it's amazing to me just wherever you are talking to people um, you get into a conversation with them and what you do, and they're just like, you live on a farm? And, you know, yeah, come see us, you know, and they'll come out. And it's amazing to me how people open up and just um, want to soak in 
what you're doing and that lifestyle. Um, I, it's interesting to me to see um, people really, you can see, I, I don't know, maybe it's because God created us to be in a garden, um, you know, but you, you see that in people that come to our farm, and I really like to open up our farm to anybody that wants to come, and we're um, always been very generous to share um, our produce with them to take home. But um, we also have, um, <coughs> I, I uh, ride horses, I have horses, and um, I was impressed to have a lot of my horse friends come for a farm, farm evening kind of thing, a hayride and stuff. And um, they were out there. We have a place called the Fun Zone on our farm, and there's a little bit of archery and badminton and um, hitting golf balls out and some bare dirt and stuff like that. And I was just sitting there. I wasn't really participating, but there was some mothers and kids and stuff, and the mothers were all um, talking with each other and just having a great time, and they were all saying, I wish every child could grow up on a place like this. This is where they need to grow up. One of the beautiful things about farming is that it gives you the opportunity to do the kind of ministry that Christ did. He met people where they were, and then he met their needs. And so I think one thing that we have experienced, it's very easy to do friendship evangelism for myself, for my husband. Um, seed sowing is very easy. It's easy for me to talk about Christ in, when I'm selling my produce. But this season, I really prayed, Lord, help me to be more, to do more, to have literature, to, to really try to have more deep spiritual conversations. And so I really prayed for that. And I set up, I do a farmer's market in front of the Whole Foods store, if any of you are familiar with Whole Foods. I'm the only market vendor there on that day. And so I... I'm there, and because it's not the consistency of, of a regular farmer's market or even of CSA, I always pray, Lord, give me opportunity to touch somebody today. I mean, I, people from Alaska, people from, who are just passing through Nashville, I have the opportunity to just plant a seed, which has been really exciting, and I know that um, God uses those. But I had one experience this year that sort of, I think fits more into what we think of evangelism. And I had a, there was a man who came with his young son regularly to my market. And very early on, we started talking about spiritual things. And I, I made a comment that he knew, oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. And our family um, made a brochure this year. It was a marketing thing, but the real thing was to help people understand the family, and how God brought us to farming, and really what we're about. And that was a huge step in the right direction. So people had, you know, like I gave him one of those. So the next time I saw him, oh, he knows a lot more about us. And he was asking me spiritual conversation, asking me spiritual questions. And he'd kind of hang around the table. And as soon as someone would come, he would back off, and I'd do, deal with that customer, and he'd come right back. Now, what do you think about this? And what do you think? And, and he was asking me, I said something about not having a television. Oh, you don't have a television? I said, no, I don't have a television. He said, 
wow, that is amazing. And, you know, but then when you go on to say, you know what, our life is so full with good things, we just really don't have time. And, well, that's true. And just on and on, lifestyle things, what you eat. He asked me about my childhood, my growing up. Wow, you have had an amazing, you know, just embracing all of these lifestyle things that are so typical to Adventists. And well into the season, he came, and we had talked about the state of the dead. You know, he, he asked me, he said something to me about what happens when you die. I said, oh, boy. You know, <laughs> you're, you're really asking tough questions. You, he said, well, I just want to know what you believe. And I said, well, I can tell you this. We believe something different than probably you believe. Yeah. Really? So then, and my daughter Kirsten was with us that day. We were able to, and I won't get into how the Lord, but the Lord just led us in our conversation with him. And it was like, wow. It was after that that he was again at the market, and the Lord impressed we were having this conversation and I thought man this man should be a son of the Adventist <laughs> I mean he's already got all of I mean he's got his passion his vision and he had said to me well no let me say before I said to him well the Lord impressed me say to him you should be a son of the Adventist I thought there's no way Lord I'm not saying that <laughs> I mean I don't want to close the door I don't want to you know but the thought came to me again, and I just kind of put it back, and it came again. And I said, okay, okay, Lord. I said, just looked at him, and I just I said, you know what? I think you should be a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, you're not the first person who's told me that. I said, really? And I, we didn't go, he really does, he did not know anything about Seventh-day Adventist. So he, and he said, I just want to know what you guys believe. He said, it makes me want to go to Google and type in Seventh-day Adventist. I said, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> and he, he laughed and he said, I'm kidding. He said, I, I know about that. He said, I'd be sure to put in official Seventh-day Adventist something. <laughs> so... You know, I told him then, I said, I have something for you. And, well, no, I didn't tell him then. I, I went home, and, I, and the Lord just really laid on my heart to bring a great controversy for him. And so the next market, I brought the great controversy. And I told him when I first saw him at the market, I said, I have something special for you. And he, really, I'm so curious. <laughs> so after he bought his multitude of good food, um, I pulled out the great controversy and I said, this is a book that I think you, you would be very interested in. Because we'd had a lot of talks about end time events. And he really believes that the end of the time, at the end of Earth's history is near. And so I gave him the great controversy. He said, wow, this is a heavy book. I said, yeah, but I know you're going to enjoy it. And so who knows? He's visited our farm. His family has visited our farm recently. And you, you plant the seed, and then you give it time to germinate before you go back and try to say, okay, what do you think? So this winter, I'm praying for him, praying for his family. And next spring, we'll have lots to talk about. 
So I just totally, every experience that all you ladies have been sharing is just so resonating because it's like that's what farmers' wives and farmers and farmers' families have all the time is you just have these amazing experiences where people that you would never meet otherwise you meet and you're able to talk to them and share with them just because you're growing food for them and they so appreciate the fact that you're growing food for them. So um, I thought I would tell a little bit of a different story and that is I know there's a lot of young families here and we have been so blessed with seeing how farming can impact our children because as a farmer, your children can work right alongside you. And you know nowadays with child labor laws and stuff, children are, are just practically not even allowed to work. And so they can't learn those skills that they need to learn. But the side benefit of that is when your children are working alongside with you on your farm, they just do all this little witnessing and stuff that you're not even aware of. And so, you know, as, as they were growing up, you know, we would find some of the people who worked for us changing their lifestyles, changing their habits. And then it wasn't until years later that I found out we had had an alcoholic who no longer drunk, a guy who was a chain smoker who no longer was smoking and now today keeps the Sabbath. And all went back to our kids would slip little tracks and stuff to them. And, but he didn't our kids didn't tell us they were doing that. And he didn't tell us at the time they were doing it. It wasn't until years later he was like, you know, Mrs. Janice, it's because. And then he would tell me what had been happening. And, you know, a little child shall lead them. And by having, um, having something where you can work together as a family and where your children can actually be working. You know, so often when we're homeschooling, you know, we're so at home and we have to think of opportunities for our kids to go witnessing versus they come along with you to the farmer's market or whatever it might be. All of a sudden, they have opportunities to be witnessing right alongside of you. Um, and so it's just, over the years, it's been such a blessing to see how such a little thing like a farm could provide so many real opportunities to meet the needs of the people in your community, right, who work with you, um, you know, the electricians or whoever it is that's, you know, the, the plumbers or whoever that are coming to your farm to maybe help you with something or, or whatever it is. So it's just, it's just been such a blessing. Isn't that neat? I'm sure many of you have stories that you can share. And we're going to give you an opportunity this afternoon, so I had to get that in there. So thinking, think about that um, when it comes to sharing this um, later this afternoon. Now, I want to open it up to some questions. Um, if any of you have specific questions about how to, and let me ask the first question. Um, how do you, what's a good way, at, I'm at a market, or I'm selling my produce, how do I broach that topic? Do I wait for them to ask me something, or do I, um, do I start the conversation? I want to ask you ladies, how do I initiate that conversation with them uh, to, to, to evangelism? Am I first, because I'm holding the mic? <laughs> I think everybody has to march in their own armor. You know, there's some people that could just so be 
initiate it, but there's other people that that's not so comfortable. But I've had so many experiences where, and it's just constant experiences where people just gather things about you by observing you and by seeing how you carry yourself and how you're doing things. And they just, they just come to you with questions. And I, and I don't know, maybe they come to farmer people more readily with questions because maybe, maybe they feel more connected to us because, because we're connected with them because of food. I, I can't reference it because I'm not anything but a farmer. But um, it, so I think you have to march in your own armor, but I can tell you that people will so readily be coming to you with so many questions that you might not have to even bother being bold to them, so. This mic is really touchy. <laughs> um, you know, our produce is the opening door. Absolutely. And it, you know, I can't tell you how many times people will come and say, wow, your stuff is so beautiful. That's the open door. And you say, it's no credit to us. We planted the seeds. We did our part, but it's only God who gives us the harvest. And we are very, we are very quick to acknowledge the fact that our produce is prayed over from seed to harvest. And that to, to go even beyond that, we really pray for the people who are going to eat that food. Amen. I completely agree with both of those comments and just would add um, to be genuinely inviting and smiling and friendly and loving and non-judgmental. You have a lot of different walks of life that will come to your booth and some are hurt people, uh, scarred people, seeking, they're seeking health and vitality and you just love them and open up to them in the same way when they come up to you. Some, I have one experience that happened recently, a man dressed in all black. Uh, you could tell that he had some health issues and he was very quiet at first and I'm kind of outgoing. And so I just, hey, how's it going, you know? And um, he just immediately started talking to me about all of his health problems. And uh, I'm happy that people feel like they can do that. We have to not judge uh, people by their looks and treat them all equally and just seek to um, show them love and provide healing food for them. I just would echo what they've already said that, um, you know, giving glory to the Lord. And I think that really um, our occupation you know, like she mentioned, gives people a connection to us. And, you know, m part of marketing, when people market, like, meat and produce and stuff, they put pictures of the little farm, you know, the barn on the packaging because it's a nostalgic feeling that people get, and they automatically feel a connection with that. And I think that that's what's so special about agriculture and farming is because people do feel that connection with you already. And when they mention something about the produce or something and you give glory to God, like that is automatically just an open door. And it's one that they can either continue to keep open or to close. And, you know, that happens sometimes. But I think just being approachable like Jesus was, um, being fresh in yourself. 
I mean, oftentimes, I mean, it's, it's a last-ditch effort to try to look good before you go to market after you've been <laughs> in the mud and everything else. So we look kind of natural. And <laughs> we do our best. <laughs> oh, my. My son even took me out to vote for, um, anyway, <laughs> choosing life choosing life on behalf of the unborn. And so uh, I was in the middle of planting garlic <laughs> so in the, in the moonlight. So it was like, honey, really? I have to change my clothes at least. I don't even think I have time. I said, we have to get right back here. But anyway, when you're with the people and you're yourself, um, when my friend came in the, and she was saying, oh no, I said, your box is gone. I said, well, looked at her and I said, I guess you were supposed to be here. And, and, it, and it was meant that way. That was so exciting. And so, uh, I mean, that it's going to work out. That's, I just assured her, it's going to work out. Somehow this, is, this was meant to be. And so I just gave her assurance. And I've noticed that God just leads. I always come back and try to tell my husband the stories and how they happened, but they are miraculous just through conversation. It just leads naturally in the way God would have it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we don't do farmer's markets anymore, but <clears throat> we still have a lot of connection with people with the farm. And I, it seems like to me what I see is food is a commonality that just seems to open people up, to be vulnerable, to tell their stories and their wants. And um, it just seems like it comes natural. Okay. Anybody with a question, raise your hand. Anybody with? I was going to repeat the question. We can. Um, yes. Her question, just for everybody that's streaming, she's asking what, the ladies whether. Repeat. Is there a need to put out literature on healthy living at, at their markets? I'm sure there's a need. Like, I've had the little glow track on health. Um, but I think the real need is that we need to be health coaches to them. It's, it's a relationship that we are trying to build. And through that relationship, we are able to teach them about health. And if they want to know, they'll ask. And then you can offer them additional, but I think the relationship should always be the bridge. You know, I think it's always good. Um, Brenda Walsh came to our church last Sabbath, and she makes little bookmarks so that she has something to always present. Um, I'm of the opinion that I'm not out there pushing it in somebody's face, but as long as you have something, if somebody asks and you have something readily available, I think we're ne we need to be able to offer that witness verbally. We need to know what we're going to, but if we don't have that information, then at least have a track, something that you can give them. You know, for your question, read this. You know, this might help. That way, we're not in their face, but we're prepared, and I think that would be a good, you know, thing. Another question. Yes, sir. Somebody asked online, how old were your children when you started to farm? If they were older, how were they able to adjust? That's a good question. I'll defer the older children to someone else, because ours were very young. So, Mine, too. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start with the older, but we would like some of you with younger yeah. children as well to share that, if you don't mind. 
Um, I've always been, inter been interested in gardening and farming, and we weren't called to it till our children were already in an academy. And so um, what really helped, um, well, I'd always planted a garden, but when we moved to the farm, Caroline had just um, finished academy, and Paul was still in academy. And what, what was special is they were the first apprentices, and so we had an apprentice program. And they sort of just became a part of it with our first apprentice. And I'm thinking it was Kirsten and Carrie and Paul and Caroline. And by learning and being that part of that group, they started to just love it because of it's nice to do it together. And when you're, when you're a young person, when you have other young people to work with, it's very empowering. And so you start to catch a vision. And then they did actually have a summer garden after they did their apprenticeship program. And they called it Born to Grow. And so um, they had an influence in the community. They had a little farmer's market together at a very, um, a little community that's very nostalgic near us that has a very, uh, lots of people from all around the country come there. And so um, I just say, involve them right away in everything you're doing and give them responsibility and they'll probably love it. Even though our children were young when we started farming, I do have a thought for someone who, because we've seen a lot of families transition to country living and it's a hard move if your children are older. So, but I can say this, even with our apprentices who didn't all come to us eager to farm, the thing that has, I've seen have the biggest change is the book education. And if you have older children, read the book education. And I would say this, if, they, if you have to go forward very carefully if your family is not on board. And when, we, when my husband was called to farm, I was not on board. And he, he, he did the right thing, and he waited. He just said, Lord, if you're moving forward in this, you will change Pam's heart. And he did. The Lord changed my heart, and that's where it needs to happen. And I think it's the same with your children. If your children are older in the teen years, and, they, and you feel called to make the country living move and to be more having a more agrarian life, really study the book education together and ask the Lord to lay it on their hearts. And then it can be a successful transition. We've seen it many times with people who have successfully done it with older children. OK, we'll take one more question, and then we'll ask for succinct, quick answers. In the back, I saw that hand come up first. Okay, his was a comment stating that he gives out um, seed, uh, seed packets with information on it as a way to exchange and um, have something ready to give out. So just seed packets with something on it. Okay, there was another hand I saw. Yes, sir. He's met, um, he shared that he's met people who come up to, the, uh, um, to him and say they grew up on farm and they don't ever want to go back. Basically, bad experience. They want nothing to do with it. What's the difference between that person with the bad experience growing up on the farm and um, what we're sharing? Is that succinctly, please? I think a really important thing is to make the farm a part of your children's lives and make your children a part of the farm and make them feel 
like this farm is their farm too. We're not just all going out there and drudging away at work. This is our farm. We're in it together. And, and they have ideas. You know, you, you'd be amazed how young they are when they can start coming up with good ideas to actually help make things better. And, you know, when you start to feel like, like I'm, I'm really important, I'm, I'm a part of this. I mean, my ideas and my, and my work are important. Um, I re- and then, of course, you know, the bottom line, the biggest thing, it's hard work. And um, we have to, as families, it isn't just that we're forcing people to to think a certain way but we're praying and and having worship together and and learning these things together and um yeah it's wonderful (laughs) i think our daughter put it succinctly and well when she said that for a lot of people whose children grew up on a farm they have another life they have a school life they have a sports life they have a social life and the farm the farm keeps them from that life which to them is more appealing than the hard work of a farm. But she said, you know, for us, for our children, the farm was their life. It was the hub of everything. It was the social. It was the school. It was the everything. And it provides all the needs. I think uh, making the, the time on the farm enjoyable is very important. And You can do it in many different ways. You can have relay races when you're uh, taking tomatoes out of the field, or um, you can have time when you go jump in the creek or go on the zip line over the pond. Kids know that they're hurtling over the the rows, you know, in the middle of a mud, you know, it's muddy and it's storming. So the children really do enjoy what they're doing because you're not continually not giving them break. I mean, you're giving them breaks. There's, there's, Hard work, but then there's fun together. There's the family enjoyment. And so, and there's animals and all the intrigue of the birds coming and orphan animals. So children that aren't on the farm usually are more bored. And so I would say it's a great life. And I, I don't know um, about people who have grown up hating the farm because my kids love it. My kids are still very young. Um, and I don't know what experiences they've had, but it might be worth asking them, you know, what type of farm did you grow up on? And you should come see our farm. You should come spend some time with us. And because people who come to our farm, they generally love it. They, they love being there. Um, they love everything about it, and they want to come back. And so I would say, you know, reach out to them and ask them why and invite them to see what you're doing. A really quick, we're out of time, but a really quick shameless plug, it's free, in a new issue of Roots, Roots Magazine, it will be coming out, like I said, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you get the perspective of an individual in that magazine, and uh, it's coming from a young person, you know, their thought, their mindset, it's a good article, so keep checking our website. The other thing, having um, four children, ages 5 to 13, in theory, I can only speak it in theory because obviously they're not grown up yet. But traditional farming, when you have traditional farming, you're told that I'm doing this to bring food to put on the table. You are going to grow up and you're going to do something better than me. But in this environment, in farming, when I went to that seminar, you know, in in my life changed. 
this is what I want my children to go into. As they're walking in the field, they're relating with God, they're understanding. As, as they're plowing, as they're looking at the tomatoes, the different interaction with the beneficial bugs and the harmful bugs, um, they understand the connection between that. They understand the connection of the great controversy daily in everything that they're doing. And so my goal, my aim is to help my children to see that and see it as a lifestyle. It's part of them. It's it, it interacting with God. And so, again, in theory, it's for my, my aim is to have my children connect with God so that they don't have that negative experience. They're not leaving saying, well, my dad did that to put food on the table. They're leaving saying, you know, this is my life. In the farm, I met God. So, I, you know, that... Again, it's my theory, it's my ambition. I want to share one thing. I know there's some hands, but we have to end, that I wanted to share back, bringing it back to the evangelism aspect. And um, as I read this, as farmers, think about what this is saying. It's speaking to ministers, but this is what we're called to do. It's by Hugh Latimer, who lived 1485 to 1555. And again, it will be in a future issue um, of, of our magazine if you want a copy. God's word is seed to be sown in God's field, and the preacher is the sower. And it is said in the gospel, he that soweth, the husbandman, the plowman, went forth to sow his seed, so that a preacher is compared to a plowman. As it is said in another place, no man that putteth his hand to the plow and looketh back is apt for the kingdom of God. As the plowman first sets forth his plow and then tills the land and breaks its furrow and sometimes ridges it up again, and at another time harrows it and cloddeth it, and sometimes dungs it and hedges it and digs it and weeds it and makes it clean, so the preacher has diverse offices to do. He has a busy work to bring his flock to a right faith and then to confirm them in the same faith. Now casting them down with the law and with the threatenings of God for sin. Now ridging them up again with the gospel and with the promises of God's favor. Now weeding them by telling them their faults. And making them forsake sin and clotting them by breaking their stony hearts. And making them supple hearted. And making them to have hearts of flesh. And that is soft hearts and apt for doctrine to enter in. There is your evangelism in church. Evangelism isn't just at the farmer's market. Who better understands this poem than us farmers? As new members come into the church, here's your evangelism. You know what it's like to take care of those tiny plants that are growing. You know what it's like to carefully set them in the soil. You know that they need water. You know all that they need. Think about that new Christian, just like this says. We have to, they come in. But there's things that we need to do. We need to help them break bad habits. We need to do different things. So us farmers, understanding this language, it goes deep into our hearts. And evangelism for us is much more than the farmer's market. It's even in that, with that person next to us in that pew sitting in church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we pause, we come to you with humble hearts. We ask that what we take away from here this weekend is so much more deep than the practical things, but a relationship with you. 
That's what this is all about. Nothing else matters. If, if we don't build relationships with you, we can grow the most beautiful, delicious vegetables you can ever taste. But it's all in vain. Help us to use these talents, Lord, to build our farms, to grow, to take care of our families. Um, not only are their nourishment, but also take care of the future lives that we're building with young children and to take care of those around us, not only at the market, the stranger that comes to, to us to buy from us, but also the neighbor and the person who sits next to us in a pew. Thank you for all the wealth and the wisdom that you bring here and help us to continue to grow and develop a deeper yearning to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.